Hey, J. Crew, we are taping live from Crosstown Studios today, the apartment of Josh Cross, but not only the apartment of Josh Cross, actually his daughter's bedroom, which means we really should not swear. We should respect the space. So God willing, it'll be a good, chaste, swear-free show. But in case it's not, here's your obscenity warning. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by Tablet senior writer, Liel Leibovitz. Ahalan wasahalan. Yes, and Tablet deputy editor, Stephanie Butnick. I have been second for like six weeks in a row. Oh, sorry, I'll switch that. No, <laughs> no, I let it stand. You will, you, you, I'm gonna, you know I switch you know it up. they say first is the worst, second is the best. Our Jewish guest this week is Albert Einstein. Okay, not not really Albert Einstein, but kind of. It's actually Benjamin Cohen, who is the Twitter voice of Albert Einstein. He handles the the Albert Einstein Twitter account, which has 8 trillion and followers. And Facebook. Yeah, and Facebook. He and is, by the way, it's probably like better known right now than the actual Albert Einstein, because that's how most people learn about <laughs> like, Einstein, isn't it, through Twitter these at days. Albert, right? right? At Albert Einstein, is that what his name is? And meanwhile, there are all these kids <laughs> who- emk. <laughs> meanwhile, there are all these kids who think that actually Albert Einstein is alive and tweeting at them because time has no it's meaning like, to hey children, man, right? that guy is sick, so great. Uh, our Gentile guest is uh, all-time super goy and parenting and sports columnist Jason Gay of the Wall Street Journal, uh, who has been on the show before. It is totally terrific. So the funny thing we should say, this is not Benjamin Cohen. This is Benjamin Cohen. This is not my Ben Cohen who works with Jason Gay. So we're just like trying to, we're giving you like a little tease ah, of what you could right. have one day when so Ben if, Cohen comes on this podcast. If your Benjamin Cohen met Benjamin Cohen, that would the be world like would explode. Benjamin, the world Benjamin. One of my first um, correspondences with my Ben Cohen. Your husband. My husband, my now husband. We did not, we were not, didn't really know each other at the time. He wrote something for Tablet and I, I helped put the story, get the story edited and put it in the system. And when it came out, he emailed and said, why is my byline ben Z, Benjamin Z. Cohen? He's like, why did you put my middle initial? That's not my byline. And I was like, well, we have a Ben Cohen already. We have a Benjamin Cohen and we have a Benjamin Cohen. And I was like, so you're going to have to be Benjamin Z. Cohen. <laughs> you're, you're Z. You're literally <laughs> last in the alphabet. I'm right assuming now. the Z is Zachary, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, Liel, anything, anything new in Leibowitz land this week? So Stephanie and I had, uh, had a magical day on Sunday for an upcoming episode of this year's show. Yeah. Stephanie, where did we go? <laughs> let's let's tease this. We went just near JFK Airport yeah. with the air, airplanes flying overhead. We went to see the Rebbe. We went to the Ohel, the gravesite of Menachem Endel Schneerson, the late Lubavitcher Rebbe. So I went, I was there once, um, gosh, must have been about 2003. It was actually the first time I ever put on tefillin was at that uh, at that site, was at, no at, the, at the yeshiva next to it, because I was interviewing a little boy who was going to have a bar mitzvah in Alaska, but he was at boarding school at the yeshiva at the Ohel. And that's where I went to meet him. And he was so this 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, taught me how to put on tefillin right there in Queens with the planes <laughs> flying overhead. What did you guys do at the Ohel? Did you write the little prayers and throw, tear wrote, them up and throw them? We wrote a letter. Yeah. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away, but it was a real. It was a very fun experience. We wrote I, letters. We had cookies. Yeah, they were. I had those famous Ohel cookies. Um, and this is for the upcoming Superstition episode, right? This is this is the world's longest preview for Halloween-themed, spooky, Ooh. scary Ooh. Superstition episode. And this is a good time to say that when, when I put out the call for your family's Jewish superstitions, um, we got like a, a lot of them. And um, and a lot of you wrote so them ridiculous. in. Including amazing a ones. A lot of you <laughs> called them in. And we still want them more. It's better if you call them in and speak them slowly, maybe keep them to about a minute, and then we can put them right on the show. Uh, 914 Five seven zero four eight six nine. And I have to say, having been raised by a woman who believed that leaving shoes like turned upside down is we an affront to God <laughs> and will like bring demons, 
our listeners' superstitions are amazing. Amazing, right? Like, like that's some that, weird shit. Because yeah. this is actually, you know, people a lot in the Facebook group are like, top sheets, are they Jewish? My family did this thing, is it Jewish? This is actually where we get to see people just like things that are definitely Jewish and are definitely totally crazy. Yeah. I have to say, on <laughs> both sides of my family, and this may just reflect the sort of totally parv, schwach, lame, goyish people from whom I come, whom I love dearly and whom I'm deeply influenced by, but I can't think of a single superstition on either side of my family. Oh my God. Not my father's Yekish German Jews, that not my mother's insane. communist Litvak Jews, like nothing. No, nobody- Not even the Litvaks? Nobody knocks on wood. Nobody says Kinahora. Nobody throws salt anywhere. Nobody spits at anything. Nobody, the thing about like, a bunch of our listeners said that when you're mending something with a thread on right. someone, I'm not gonna give it away, but it involved mending things. And I thought, yeah, if anyone I'm related to ever mended anything with a thread, <laughs> well, maybe they have a superstition, but we don't even say, mend things. When I got my bat mitzvah dress made by Nancy Cinema on Long Island. Um, Salt. You have to p p hold something in your. You put the the string in your mouth oh, yeah, if you absolutely. if she's gonna mm -hmm. cut on you. So like that's that, a big one. Yeah. yeah, a lot of our listeners had that one. That was a good one. The door right. Lajlo Holyfeld goes through this, in real genius. This episode, we'll have a little seance, get a yeah. little Ouija board going. Oh, oh, I did have a Ouija board experience back when I was a kid, but we'll save that. We'll save that for the show. That is objectively not Jewish. <laughs> that is definitely not Jewish. Stephanie, anything else to report or just just the oh hell, just. Just Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. So at my household, really interesting what's come out the past six weeks or so. Because Is it a baby? As, well, that's coming. You know, about six weeks ago, like the week we had the baby, uh, Ellie started Ezra Academy, the wonderful conservative Jewish day school in, in greater New Haven. And three of my other kids are in public school. And so all, all of a sudden, we hadn't really thought about this. We knew it, but we hadn't really grokked it deeply. Their holidays don't sync up, right? So- Ellie gets basically the whole month of September off. But then her sisters don't get schnitzel, right? Then yesterday, <laughs> it's Columbus Day and her sisters finally get a holiday off and Ellie has to go to school. And she was like, livid. She's like, wait a second, everyone's going to be home without me. And they look at her like, Ellie, you literally haven't gone to school in a month. Like while we've been going to school, doing homework, getting on power school to check our grades or whatever the software is, you've been home like watching- But, but not with her sister. Gymnastics YouTubes, but not with her sister. So she was really upset. So I said to her- I said, She had that secular FOMO. I said, Ellie, like, wh why do you think you should get the day off? And she said, well, because of my sisters. And she said, and because also it's Columbus Day. And I said, Ellie, do you know what Columbus Day is? She said, yeah, it's about that guy. And I said, you mean Christopher Columbus, who, and I said, discovered America. Mrs. Doubtfire, right. right? And a bunch of other great films. <laughs> I said, discovered America. I realize it's more complicated than that, but you know, I, I, this is my first Columbus lesson for her. And she said, yeah, him. And I said, well, and, and you should stay home for that. And she said, yeah, I want to stay home and honor him. I said, well, how will you be honoring him? She said, by staying home. <laughs> <laughs> Which had a like brilliant Talmudic truth to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I almost gave her the day off, but I mean, if she end. had gone in with the like Indigenous Peoples Day, that would have been one thing. Right, right. Like, I don't know if you guys opened your calendars on your phone this year. And I had like seven messages on my calendar that it was Columbus Day. I was like, why, why is so many people telling me it's Columbus Day? And then also one that says Indigenous Peoples Day and the one that says tablet in the Catskills Day. Ah which is an, actually a really important day. A really important day. A uh, little news of the Jews. I'm going to start with some quick bites, if I may, right? First of all, uh, Amy Schumer, cousin of Senator Chuckles Schumer, arrested protesting the existence of Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, there is a, this was a great story. A, a Puerto Rican woman who had claimed to be Jewish trying to emigrate to Israel to avoid extradition got convicted anyway. It well, never went she through. she hired someone to kill her husband. 
Yeah. And she was like, if I go to Israel, can they extradite me? <laughs> also, might I be Jewish? <laughs> she was like, 23 and me. She's like, shalom. Also, so that story came from yeshivaworld.com, which has the greatest ads I have ever seen. Oh, my God. It's like always modest, ads though. for all, like all simcha ads. halls and I'm stuff like, like that. Yeah, I love it. A Puerto Rican woman accused of hiring... <laughs> yeshivaworld.com is also not the best copy edited publication. A Puerto Rico woman accused of hiring a hitman to kill her wealthy Canadian husband more than a decade ago was found guilty on Wednesday. Six months after An Hong was killed, Vasquez sued his parents, seeking a million dollars in damages and eight million dollars from his estate. I think that's called chutzpah, right? Kill your husband and sue the <laughs> it's estate. It's actually chutzpah, as Michelle Bachman says. <laughs> Shortly after filing the lawsuit, she left for Florence, Italy. Once there, prosecutors said she falsified documents to prove she was Jewish and thought about moving to Israel, asking an attorney whether the country had an extradition agreement with the United States. I actually think it's very shrewd. I mean, I think this woman's intellect is wasted in jail. I think that's really, that's some smart stuff. Seth Rogen is going to play a time-traveling Jewish pickle maker in an upcoming movie um say that three times fast it's actually the movie is um based on simon rich's novella sellout which is about like a brooklyn it's basically a pickle maker who gets trapped in a pickle barrel brining for 100 years and wakes up in like hipster brooklyn and it's like yeah, dude i, say, I look perfectly at home here it's either based on, on some novella or it's based on a night of smoking a lot of weed being like Pickles, Dude, I'm hungry. And the pickles. You know what would be a really funny movie? <laughs> what if I'm a pickle maker and I fall into the pickle and then I wake up and I'm the same person because I'm pickle, a hipster. The pickle factory is now like an abandoned warehouse performance space. So, you know. <laughs> Where they have pop-up pickle stores. Yeah, basically. Right? It's like a shouts and murmurs. He's set to, to play a young pickle maker named Herschel Greenbaum. That's awesome. And finally, a little a little quick hit from Israel. Sarah Netanyahu is on trial again. Okay. Like, Could you explain, Liel, why... Are they, if they're corrupt, could we just put them in jail and, and exile them to Elba or something? If they're not, could we end with this? What you is know, going Mark, on with the Netanyahu and I, corruption investigation? I wish I could explain. This is like indictment number 38. It's trial number 13. Like there have been so many, like at this point, like guys, if you've got something, you better bring it forward. But and this has that, to do like, with a corrupt restaurant tab? Oh, no, this has to do with, yeah, basically by ordering catering in. This is the thing, like, the Netanyahu's now are in like season 26. Like the first four seasons were so great. You're like, this is the best show ever. These guys are so corrupt and interesting. Now it's, it's like, like basically has the cards. plot line will be that she ordered takeaway and it was too expensive. <laughs> in like, her really? in her not defense, she ordered $96,000 worth of private meals instead of using the residence's cook to prepare meals for her. I mean, to be honest, if you look at my seamless account... <laughs> I'm not that far off, so. Um, and this is the same cook who presumably gave the shoe to the Japanese prime minister, Correct. so maybe maybe it's fine. I mean, Liel, to be fair, it sounds like what you're saying by sort of tossing it off as like, those are just my people. Where I come from, this is normal. This is true. This Where is I true. Come from, it's like is, uh, that basically it is really Israel, it's, of it's the soft bigotry of, of lobe expectations. I mean, it's basically in Israel, it's the Middle East, it's a little different, $96,000 of, of catering. It's not, it's not $8 billion of arms. I mean, that well, is really bad. I, I, in a pre-Trump era, that would have been a presidential scandal that could have ended somebody. I will say in the pre-Trump era, I don't remember the pre-Trump era anymore. It's been so long. Uh, I, I will say this. What she is arguing uh, is that there have been no improprieties because uh, countries and, and you know mansions and uh, big uh, operations that have to do a lot of official kind of hosting, uh, you know, often spend a significant amount of money. And she's arguing that this falls uh, squarely within... The reasonable, I think, you know, if you look at the Elysee Palace and what they must spend, I don't know. I, I have not looked at the, uh, you know, at, at the bills, at the invoices of these things. The thing that really gets me is that these indictments come up literally every three months and there has been zero convictions. 
which strikes me as a little bit odd. Like at this point in the game. So it's like Rod Rosenstein and the DOJ are like out to get just, them. Just, just, just do your thing. It's like the Mueller investigation. Like at this point, if there's Russian collusion, bring it forth. It's been a year and a half. Oh, they and will. if there's not, oh, they will. Just, just walk slowly backwards and close the door after you. Watergate took two years, man. That was so in my country. Here's what JTA has to say that I think really uh, brings it home. The Netanyahu's have denied any wrongdoing and have accused Israel's public broadcaster of airing, quote, fake news. Mm. And so it goes. Stephanie, what do you got for us in News of the Jews? Okay, the greatest thing that happened this week is that Bernie Sanders, like, went out for lunch um, at work and literally, like, saved a woman from being hit by a car and then came back, like, went back to work and didn't tell anyone in his office because it was just, like, just, just like a thing you do. Just and a day in the life of Bernie Sanders. This, this young woman posted a selfie on her Facebook saying, in caps, Bernie Sanders, I kid you not, stop me from getting hit by a car on my way to my guitar lesson. So we took a selfie together. So there's a selfie. And then it went up on Twitter. Like, people started tweeting it, reporters. And then his staff saw it on Facebook and were like, Burn, burn. Did you save a woman from being hit by a car? You got to tell your lunch? communications office this. You got to help help us out here. <laughs> yeah, we're like, this is what you pay us for. Liel, news of the Jews in your corner? So look, we, we've been lighthearted until now. Yep. Uh, it's it's time to be a little bit more serious. Something, Take it down. Something very bad happened last week. Uh, something that I personally find very offensive and traumatic. After years, rather, after months of deliberations, um, the world body governing emojis, which I believe is Apple, officially came out with a bagel emoji. The bagel emoji. Have you seen the bagel emoji? It's, it, is it the donut emoji they were threatening the us with? The bagel emoji looks like the shittiest bagel you could buy in like the Denver airport oboe pond. It looks <laughs> like oh, you can see on that abomination the like bready texture of a shitty bagel. You can bagel. see the frost from the, lenders, from the lender's freezer bag. Can I say, save for a cinnamon raisin, which really would just have been a slap in the face, this is the worst thing they could have done. You know that the way our culture is going, historians of the future are basically only going to study emojis that would be the only form of primary documents that anyone pays attention to. like oh a bagel was that it was, was like, a people donut no sir it was not <laughs> people must have eaten salads and tacos and those pieces of sushi and green <laughs> like, kale smoothie and they only drank this green thing um i have a news of the jews item that is very delicate i want to handle it very delicately it begins with a very sad item and and you know this this is this is really painful stuff. 19 swastikas were spray painted on the walls of a Jewish community center in Northern Virginia. Um, this was the, the Jewish community center of uh, Northern Virginia in Fairfax. And they haven't caught the person yet. Uh, there is a surveillance video showing a man wearing dark clothes, spraying the building at 4.30 in the morning. Um, now, here's where I want to take this though. Because honestly, if I'm being perfectly honest with you guys in this room and the J Crew and our body of millions of listeners, I have to be honest about where I was, where my heart was by the time I got the, the, the article. What really offended Here, what, you? Here's what really, I'm just keeping it real. <laughs> I'm not minimizing the tragedy. I'm just keeping it a thousand percent real. Listen to this paragraph. Quote, as many of us recognize, these acts do not represent the community around the J or the community in Northern Virginia. Fairfax JCC Executive Director Jeff Danik and JCC Board President David Yaffe said in a statement. Let's unpack that for a moment. They said, these acts do not represent the community around the J. And at this point, I have to be honest, all I could think about for the rest of the article was another JCC that has rebranded itself as the J. Who the fuck calls it the J? Okay, increasingly, no, 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 this is where you're wrong, Liel. Increasingly, Ugh. everyone calls it the J. So um, in New Haven, the JCC uh, had a rebranding after they, they had a fire and then they got some insurance money, they rebuilt. It's stunning, it's beautiful. The new 
billboards call it the J, like check out what's new at the J. I've seen this in the West Coast. I've seen it in the South. I think there's some company- Is it like the Y? That all, yes, there's some company that all the Jews are, are hiring, some marketing company that's told them, you got to go with the J. Nobody wants to say, the kids can't do three-letter acronym. The kids can't go J-C-C or- or more nefariously, if I'm to be Soros conspiracy minded about it, um, they feel like JCC sounds like old. It's like where your old grandpa played like pinochle or something. We're, we're hip. We're It's a swoosh. The J. And I despise this. I mean, JCCs are what they are, right? It's like, we're not going to call it the fire station anymore. We're going to call it the F. I mean, the F, right? JCCs have this extraordinary century-long history rooted in the idea that Jews shouldn't just pray together, the kind of reconstructionist Kaplanite idea that Jews shouldn't just pray together, but should also play ball together and play cards together and have dances together. It was a really important innovation, an American innovation, the idea of building a community center, um, just like the Christians had community centers. And- you know, the idea that we're going to like cut the J, that we're going to throw aside the JCC label. The CC. The CC, the community centers. The J. And here's the thing. There's no going back, right? Once JCC is forgotten, you're stuck with the J. And when the next branding company comes along in 20 years and wants the to get even the, 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 like, where are they going to go, right? Um, so I just, I, listen, this is what I have to say to the JCC of Northern, Fair, Northern Virginia. My heart really does break for you about these swastikas. Like anyone who listens to this show knows that this is uh, a painful thing for us, right? We have definitely been on top of Anyone who listens to the show knows that we don't like Nazis. (laughs) But we don't like Nazis and our heart breaks for you. And if there's anything we can do to help, let us know. That said, whoever is rebranding any JCC a J, I'd like someone to come on and tell us why. I know someone in our listenership has been on a committee that's made this call and I want to know the thinking behind it because I think it's wrong. Mark, I don't think we've ever been more aligned on any subject <laughs> in the history of that show. Like this is what really gets us up in the morning. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have to say that um, I our home our hometown JCC the JCC Manhattan is out now actually the Marlene Meyerson JCC. Like they went they're going, they're going, they're expanding. They did the right thing. But across town on the east side, the 92nd Street Y is now... 92Y, right? We give the old name a 92 out of 100. Maybe yeah. This I... is a good time to announce that we're now known as Unorth. The, the U. The U. <laughs> listen to the U. Where'd you learn to tango? With the French ambassador's daughter in her dorm room at Miss Porter's. And you? With Nanette Himmelfarb, the rabbi's daughter at the Scarsdale Jewish Community Center. It's hard to do this backwards. You should try it in heels. Our Jew of the Week is Benjamin Cohen. He's the author of My Jesus Year, A Rabbi's Son Wanders the Bible Belt in Search of His Own Faith. He's also the mastermind behind the official Albert Einstein Twitter account, which has more than 20 million followers. He's the host of the weekly podcast, Our Friend from Israel. Thanks for being here, our friend from West Virginia. Thank you so (laughs) much for having me. And he lives in West Virginia, which is where I last saw him. That's right. You came and visited us in uh, Morgantown. You were the biggest celebrity to come in for a long time. Um, thanks. So how did you get this Einstein Twitter gig? Did you have to like try out for it? <laughs> it's right, like a hundred sample I, I, tweets. I, I had a, yeah, I had to take a physics test. <laughs> no, uh, it's actually, it's Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, Facebook is where he has the most, uh, it's 20 million followers on Facebook and like, um, 
uh, and then a lot on Instagram and Twitter as well. Einstein is one of the few dead celebrities who is a big on social media and b very active on social media. I mean, I'm posting, you know, <laughs> twice a day on Facebook, five times a day on Twitter, once or twice a day on Instagram. So it's an extremely active account. And um, you know, I could get going. I could get Jay Robert Oppenheimer going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could, I could get him going. We'll My, take, there we'll, are 19 million f- like followers on Facebook for Einstein. Yeah, yeah. No, Benjamin knows what he's doing. I try. Well, I try. Um, you know, last night, actually, if you go to Instagram, I posted a picture of a video of Einstein and David Ben Gurion uh, talking, which was a pretty cool little archival piece of footage that we found. So, how, how do you get this gig? So, the Einstein archives is because we're always looking for the perfect side gig. You know, you have <laughs> this sounds pretty cushy, actually. It sounds pretty cush. Uh, well, I wield a lot of power, I guess I could say that. Um, the official Albert Einstein's he left his estate to Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Because uh, he really wanted the university to, to, you know, to grow after his passing because he was one of the founders of the university. And so he figured he knew that people would want to use his likeness and things like that. So he gave the licensing and everything to Hebrew University. So anytime you buy a T-shirt or a coffee mug with Einstein on it, you know, Hebrew University is getting a shekel. Wow. Uh, I, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so the official Albert Einstein archives are in Hebrew University. The problem is right now they're in like in this like small office the size of this room. And that's where the original like general theory of relativity is kept, like in a filing cabinet there. <laughs> um, being very well preserved. But um, they just raised a bunch of money. So so they they deal, you know, they, they're very, you know, they have all the archives there. When people are, when Walter Isaacson wrote his uh, famous Albert Einstein book, he went to the archives and he looked through all the letters and all that kind of stuff. But they really don't know how to deal with or want to deal with all the licensing aspects. So they license it out to a marketing company um, that's based here in New York. I think they have L.A. and New York, but the office. I work for, uh, I'm contracted with, is here in New York. I, uh, they do a, a few dead celebrities' estates, but Al Einstein's the only one that's like that active on on social media. So Hebrew University hires them, and then they they hired me. Oh, okay. So, but how did you, Benjamin Cohen of West Virginia, of the West Virginia Cohens, how did you get the gig? The Cohens and the McCoys. We have a big yeah. feud. Yeah. Um, so it's strange. It's a very strange story. So I um, I write for a website called FromTheGrapevine.com, and we often write. Uh, it's basically positive stories about Israel. We also write a lot about Einstein, and the Israeli connection is because of the archives that are based in Israel. So anytime Einstein is in the news, I'll write a story like uh, somebody's auctioning. I'm actually meeting some guy tomorrow in Connecticut who claims to have a tuft of Einstein's hair, and he's auctioning it off, and so I'm going to look at it tomorrow. Um, so that you could clone him. So they, exactly. <laughs> are you looking exactly. at it to like verify that no, it's no, I'm real? No, like, no, I'm writing an article. I want to okay. write an article. And so anyway, so I would write these articles... And I wrote an article about Einstein, and I was like, hey, you know, I want to get, we're all, we're all trying to get uh, readers to our stories online. And so I was, you know, looking, and I saw Einstein had a Facebook account. So I messaged him. I messaged Albert. <laughs> and I said, hey, Albert, I wrote this story, hey, you, you know, and, uh, right, we're on a first name basis. You know, he's a member of the tribe. And so, lo and behold, five minutes later, someone writes me back and says, <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll share that story. We're always looking for Einstein content. <laughs> And it turns out it was like this 25-year-old millennial who was uh, working for this company. And he, they had put him in charge because he was the millennial. They had put him in charge of, um, of running the social media account for it. And so, he's, so I became friends with this guy. And he's like, please send me more content. I'm always desperate for content. This guy so, is like Troy from UCLA. He started yeah. as an intern in the mailroom. And one day they said, you want to be Einstein on Twitter? You want to, you want to break into the big time? He's actually he was a Fordham Law graduate. <laughs> there we go. There we go. But um, – 
so so we became over the course of a couple years we became very friendly i would and and we would talk and we would say friendly except that you were gunning for his job basically yeah no i had no intention for that because it was a very a symbiotic relationship i would write articles i'd make up stories like uh, 10 people who share a birthday with albert einstein you know 10 times albert einstein has been in comic books and pop culture you know because it's just buzzfeedy clicky stuff you have to invent because einstein is not in the news every day but you need to <laughs> you need to generate the content so for two years i was providing him a lot of content and then he decided uh millennials you know they get distracted easily he decided <laughs> you know what i want to do something else now he's now working at abc news actually i'm going to be visiting him later today and when he left they're like oh my gosh who's going to take over you know who's going to take over for you and he's like i got the perfect guy he's been providing me einstein content for two years and so i literally had no idea that he even recommended me i just got a random phone call from his boss saying you want to do it? Okay, but now now I want to sort of inside the Einstein studio type yeah. situation. Yeah. So you get the official gig. Now you're no longer providing content. Now you are Einstein on Twitter yeah. and Facebook and Instagram. Do you go to, do you have like a method? Are are you like Daniel Day-Lewis? Do people only call you Albert? Uh, in your right. life, so you can. So my wife, it. she's always, you know, Benjamin, can you pass the salt? And I don't answer unless she refers to me. As <laughs> do you Albert. wear tweed suits? I mean, what what do you do to get into the in get the into character? character? The interesting thing is, they get the one. They actually give me a lot of free reign about what I can post. I actually post science articles, and but um, the one thing they told me when they gave me the job was, I'm not supposed to embody Albert. So I don't say, "Boy, I'm feeling," <laughs> or "I don't like this new thing," or "I," you know. You know, yeah, I have to say Albert Einstein doesn't like this. I have to say I would never have treated John McCain that way. (laughs) So the famous, you know, I I try to insert myself in the news when possible. Like, um, uh, you know, like during the during the World Series, I photoshopped a picture of Einstein with a Houston Astros hat. And I said, you know, go Astros or something like that. Oh, wow. So you can really editorialize. Oh, 100 percent. 100 percent. So they gave me an officially licensed Einstein bobblehead. And I take pictures of the Einstein bobblehead. Um, like at an event, like I could put it here and say, "Hey, we're at the Unorthodox Studios today." You know that kind of so a thing. Did you bring Einstein? Yeah, I didn't. Einstein? It's very um, delicate. Delicate. Yeah. 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 So the the craziest thing is, so people misquote Einstein all the time, and uh, and so oftentimes I, there's too many for me to correct. I have an official Einstein quote book they gave me, and so I reference that. And Ivanka Trump once uh, quoted Einstein on Twitter. Okay. And and. <laughs> And and here's what she said. This is the strangest if not thing. Mean, if not me, who? Yeah. If not now, when? <laughs> on one foot. <laughs> on one Refugees foot. <laughs> are welcome. No. She said, she, she said this on Twitter. If the facts don't fit the theory, change the facts. Albert Einstein. And so you saw that and you were like, hmm. hmm. Right. So, I don't remember like, th- that one. This is not. Actually, this was, this was the guy before me. This was right before I had taken over. So Did he, he even say the real version of that? Yeah. Okay. So first thing is, so he goes, he goes, Ivanka, I never said that. <laughs> <laughs> And it blew up and it went viral. So in that case, he's allowed to be like, I never said that. Just yeah, in that so instance, funny. it was kind of like a mic drop. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's funny. The book is divided into two, three parts. Things he said, things he didn't say, and things he might have said. And so they get this kind of gray territory. <laughs> so, first of all, I'm excited that Albert was so forward looking. He was into branding. He knew he'd be a brand and he yes. wanted Hebrew University to control his brand. Yeah, I, I interviewed the the curator of the Einstein archives when I was in Israel recently. And he said, you know, Einstein th- considered himself one of the first celebrities. 
Uh, and he knew that, and people treated him as such. It was pre-Kardashian, you know, pre-social media, and he was, yeah, he was way ahead of his time. Now, Stephanie, didn't you read Benjamin's book in, yes, grad, in grad yes, school? Yes, my Jesus year. So before Benjamin was Albert Einstein, he actually wrote one, he wrote one of these books Before that, he was Einstein, he was Jesus. He was Jesus. He wrote, so Benjamin, who is a, a kippo-wearing uh, frummy here. Uh, 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 yeah, well, I'm just- Modern Orthodox. I mean, I'm just reducing you to the simplest possible, <laughs> yeah. you know, In, in West stereotype. Virginia. In West Virginia, you're the, you're the Orthodox Jew. You you traveled the country, uh, you traveled the Bible Belt talking to Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I like how you say this in that this, wispy sh- voice. Talking to <laughs> Christians. And this is one of those books that, like, you know, for a while, everyone I knew in the uh, religion community was, you know, had the book. And the thing that was interesting to me, and I'll actually let you talk about it, but it's like you sort of start with this idea that, like, the temples are are. Like, no one's in temple anymore. But, like, right. there's so many, uh, what are they called? T- churches. <laughs> and they're just full of people. And, you, and it sort of is like a like very like anthropological, it's, yeah. it's a personal but also anthropological sense of, yeah. like, what are they doing that we're not doing? And you were in sort of the perfect place to to do that, that L- quest. Literally, that's a perfect question, Stephanie. I I grew up in the Bible Belt, and I literally, I mean, there's a Atlanta, chur- right? Atlanta, yeah. and there's a church on every corner. It's just like Starbucks, you know? And literally, I my bedroom window looked out at a church across the street. And every Auspicious. Sunday morning, I would see cards and people would come out in their khaki pants and press shirts and blonde hair. And everybody looked so happy. So happy. And the parking lot was full. And as you pointed out, most Jews in America do not go to synagogue regularly. You know, they'll go on high holidays. They'll go for a bar mitzvah. But most synagogues are not full on a regular basis. And most Jews don't even belong to synagogues. Um, so I was wondering, what were they doing in church that's so, for lack of a better word, fun and, and what can I learn from that? Not that I wanted to learn, you know, uh, uh, convert or go to church or anything. I wanted to learn what they were doing and, and figure out how we could bring it back to synagogues and make synagogues more accessible to people. Basically, I go to fi- I spent the entire year. I go to fifty two different churches. And every Sunday, I go to different denomination: Baptist, Pentecostal, Episcopal. I went knocking door to door with Mormon missionaries, and and I kind of learned a lesson from each of these places. Um, the one I like to tell people about is the first church I went to is the New Birth Missionary Baptist Mega Church, right? Um, it sounds like a long break. It rolls off the yeah. tongue. It rolls off the tongue. Sub- it is, subtitles upon subtitles. When I went there, it was the 13th largest church in America. It has 22,000 members. And they get, on a typical Sunday, 15,000, 20,000 people Insane. on a typical Sunday. That's like high holiday numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Across yeah. New York City. But. <laughs> right, in the entire tri-state area. So, um... I get there. Now, 15,000 people can't not park there. I didn't realize that. I just, like, you know, map quested how to get there because most people park, like, in other lots and there's shuttles taking them in. So I get there. I pull up, and thankfully, and I get there Jewish time. I get there a little late. And uh, thankfully, right next to the handicap parking, they had first-time visitor parking. You know, like, wow. you have, like, new mom parking yeah. at the grocery store wow. sometimes. And I was like, that is – I hadn't even walked into a church. And I'm like, wow, that is, like, the nicest thing – and that's something a synagogue can do. I'm not talking about bringing Jesus into the synagogue, but there's no reason why they can't get some paint and on the parking lot, you know, oh, paint first-time you, visitor you parking. You thought it was a spiritual solution. It's about parking. It's customer service. <laughs> well, often it's customer service. Customer customer service. They've got the food courts. Uh, they've got um, the services under three hours. Well, um, not at this me- mega No, church. actually, some of them you go know, long. Some of, the some of them go long. I like no, that you went to, true. like, the questioning Jew spot. <laughs> yeah, so they're like wondering about us. So, so I walked into this mega church, and I heard the one thing no Jew wants to hear when they walk into church. 
the usher says to me, we've been expecting you. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So what happened was, because I was working at a magazine in Atlanta at the time, and one of my colleagues prayed at this church, and I had asked her some questions, what do I wear, because different churches have different dress codes, and I was asking her questions. She apparently told them I was coming. So the usher brings me into the sanctuary, and this is like, imagine like a theater that seats right. 15,000, like a concert hall. Upper seating, you know, they have a- They had press seats for you down front? No, 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 I had press seats. No, he was on the stage. Oh. <laughs> so wait, it gets better. So there's like a hundred person choir on stage. You know, I'm probably the only white person in the room. They're all, everyone's up and dancing and hooting and hollering. And there's a band on stage and there's these large screens because people, like when you're at a rock concert, people can't see the stage. So they have these large monitors hanging from the roof, you know, so people can see. So the usher brings me up to the front of the room. And I, like I said, I had gotten there late and they're already dancing and, 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 and in the spirit. And uh, the usher whispers to the pastor something. And then the pastor turns around to the band, to the choir. He goes, everybody, quiet down, quiet down, stop singing. Oh, I have a very Lord. special no. announcement to make. No. Oh, my Lord. We'd like to welcome our Jewish friend, Benjamin Cohen, to services today. And all of a sudden, the videos came zooming in on my face, my Shana Punim, 15 feet tall on Jesus' Jumbotron for everybody to see. And the band goes, Heaven no shalom. And here I was. I was in church for a minute, and I've already been outed as the Jew. The Jew. It's like the kiss cam, but worse. Yes, and, exactly. How does this make you feel? Oh, my God, it was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because when I and I grew up going to Jewish schools, and the only thing we had been taught about with Christians is they wanted to kill you then, they wanted to kill you then, you know. So I didn't know anything. I do want to say, as a fellow traveler amongst the Christians, because yeah. you know this is what I did for for a lot of my twenties and thirties was hang out with evangelicals and Roman Catholics, Mormons, all that stuff. Um, your book, My Jesus Here, is a good book to give people who are curious oh, about evangelical you, Christianity. It's a very, it's a compassionate book. It's an honest book. It's a. But here's my question: Whenever someone has spent a lot of time among the Christians, um, as I have, as you have, we're were you ever tempted? Did you ever think like, gosh, they just, they seem, first of all, the Jesus story is awesome. And it is kind of cool to think that he died for our sins and that, you know, problem solved. And they do have better parking and better food. Cor like there's a lot they get right. right. Did you ever think, and you're a spiritual guy. Did you ever think like, maybe this is, maybe on, they. On the lonely Sunday afternoon. Yeah, maybe they like, do know something. You know, maybe numbers count. Bacon numbers smells speak. delicious. Maybe I could do a trade off here. <laughs> Well, I, I wasn't, I, I was not, to answer your question, I was not from a spiritual perspective. I was very attracted to the cultural aspects of Christianity and Christmas morning and presents. And I actually, I don't know if I mentioned this, but my wife is the daughter, she's a, is the daughter of a Christian minister. She converted to Orthodox Judaism. And so her family keeps Christmas and everything. So I get to. Keeps Christmas. I know the expression to keep Christmas is. <laughs> this is awesome. so great. Observes Christmas. She observes, he's, she's show it's me, an Arab Christmas. Right. She's on show the me 24th. Christmas. <laughs> if you go by them on Christmas morning, there's a tree. Right. So she actually, I am probably the only person in America that has a stocking with the word Binyamin stitched into it. <laughs> yes. So before we uh, let you go, because obviously you could be here forever and we would have a great time. Time and we'll have you back. Uh, the latest project, because apparently being Albert Einstein on Twitter isn't a full-time job, but uh, the latest project is your is your podcast, um, Our Friend from Israel, where you interview fascinating Israeli people in English. Uh, do you and, want to tell uh, us? And so as an Israeli, uh, you want to ask a question? podcast. I mean, if people are going to start with one episode of Our Friend from Israel, which one should they, they start with and, and tell us a little bit about it? So the point of the podcast is to show it's for an American audience. It's like you said, it's all in English and people get enough 
enough politics and religion news about Israel. So my <sighs> point is to do the exact opposite and show people Israelis that have nothing to do with politics or religion. So I interviewed a Harvard professor who's searching for aliens. You know, I interviewed uh, a celebrity chef, Ron Ben Israel. I interviewed uh, 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 Gil Hovav, who you guys had on mm-hmm. from oh, Tel yeah, Aviv. Celebrity um, chef. So uh, those types of people. My favorite episode, to answer your question, is uh, an early episode we did with a classical piano player, um, American guy who moved to Israel later in life, classical pianist who got cancer. And because of the cancer and because of the disease, he lost the use of his right hand. So he only has one hand. And which if that were me, you know, I know I probably would just like give up on life and the glass is half empty outlook. But he has such a positive outlook. He taught himself to play classical music one handed. And so I went to his apartment in Israel and interviewed him. And he just has such an inspiring story. And I recorded him playing on the piano. And so in the episode, you can hear him playing one hand. And you close your eyes, you have no idea yeah. that he's playing one hand. And it's just such an inspiring story. That's one of my favorite episodes. Amazing. Amazing. So we can get we can get Benjamin Cohen three different ways. We can get you as Albert Einstein. What's the account? It's, it's at Albert Einstein. At Albert Einstein on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Or people can go read My Jesus Year, now in paperback. My Jesus Year, now in paperback, <laughs> available at fine booksellers on Amazon. <laughs> and Our Friend from Israel, available Stitcher, iTunes. Yeah, or just go to ourfriendfromisrael.com and you could sign up there. Benjamin Cohen, don't go back to West Virginia. Just just stay. Why you don't want to go back to West? Actually, it's pretty awesome in West it's Virginia. It's beautiful there. It's beautiful there. Your wife roads. Your wife Take is a professor home. there, right? Yeah, my wife is a professor at West Virginia. She just got um, tenure a few months ago. Mazel so tov. And as as Albert Albert Einstein says, fan art Friday is coming up soon. <laughs> That's right. Check us out. Benjamin, thank you for being our two of the week. Thank you so much for having me. It's Absolutely. great to thank you. it's great to be here in person and not just listen on my headphones. From the road, baby, walk through the place. I've been up for way to make up. My mama. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award nominated best play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. We're here with Jason Gay. He is a sports columnist. He is the sports columnist at The Wall Street Journal and the author of Little Victories, a sports writer's notes on winning at life. Welcome back, Jason. Hey, thank you. But I had no choice. Um, That's actually true. And you were last here in October of 2015, which is like a lifetime and a world ago. The world was a different place, wasn't it? A lot has changed. Yeah. We should also say, though, that just because I want to get this out there, I think we've had only two returning Gentiles of the Week ever. It's you and Simon Simon Doonan. I think that's it. All right. Well, I'm exactly like Simon. So it's a (laughs) perfect, perfect combo. I should also say that last time we all saw each other, we were we were dressed nicer than we are right now because we were at Stephanie's wedding. Oh, that's true. Stephanie, you were wearing a nice dress. I that's was. Not like this nonsense you're doing right now. He was wearing a tuxedo. Now he's just with some polo nonsense. Do you want to know what I got for Stephanie and Ben for a wedding present? I would love it. It was better than what I got him. Stephanie, you want to tell him? 
oh, it was the best present. It's like this this cat lounge scratcher thing <laughs> that, that takes up roughly half the size of <laughs> takes up roughly half our apartment. Yeah. It's and like he loves if it. you went to design within reach for a cat. <laughs> for a cat. Okay, but is it. that inappropriate for a wedding present? I mean, I got them hand towels, so I think you win. But you're right in the mainstream. There. I know. I'm a little bit on the. It up. was. It was really. I mean, it was great. Because he didn't get anything. And the card basically said, like, it gets better. But you took the cat on the honeymoon, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, good. So I want to r- dive right in. I have a sports columnist here. Um, I've had to start paying attention to sports again because my 11-year-old daughter is obsessed with football. Oh, and this North is American football, North the the Patriots. You might have heard oh, of them. Okay, like yeah. I actually know that they um, they defeated the Dolphins the other day <laughs> because the Miami Dolphins, right? Yeah. Uh, because my daughter watches games on Sunday, and this is a weird thing because on the one hand, I, I need your help in processing this. On the one hand, like we're supposed to be down on football now because yeah. concussions and dementia and and all that stuff. On the other hand, it's kind of cool that my eleven year old daughter is obsessed with football. So. I, do I encourage this? She's viewing against type. Ah, uh, you know, it's uh, I, probably watching North American football yeah. uh, at her age is probably somewhat akin to when you and I were children and our parents decided whether or not they were going to let us watch professional wrestling. <laughs> Which like, they did. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so you know, there you, and I you have know. a little bit of a, of a tracking. Um, uh, an interesting question is when and if uh, she has her own children, if there will be North American football as we know it. That was going to be, be an my, NFL, my question. right? You know, is what there? it's going to look like in a couple of generations. I think we're going to see some version of it. I think like, you know, the way that boxing has uh, continued at sort of a you know lower level than it was generations ago. I think you'll always have a version of it. But So we would have like a pay-per-view football game <laughs> once every three years <laughs> that people pay $100 to just In watch Vegas. them. Right. Yeah, or, or you, you know, rogue football games behind chicken wire and country <laughs> bars and stuff like that. But I, I think, frankly, that the game of football will change from the roots and we're already seeing it, that parents... I mean, the question I hear most often from parents of 11-year-olds is, should I let them play? Right. Uh, and, and a great Great many more of them are saying no, or certainly no at the adolescent level and not until, you know, late high school or college. Which is a heartbreak for Rebecca because um, she has a really good arm. She can throw a perfect spiral. I mean, she's really... Is that true? It, no, she's That's absolutely... fantastic. She's, she, the first time she picked up a football, she threw me a perfect spiral from has 20 yards. Has she seen, I'm going to not know the name, but there's a Helen Hunt after school special where Helen Hunt played no. the woman quarterback on the... Quarterback princess. Quarterback princess. <laughs> Quarterback. 1983. Dial it up, okay? Whoa. She has to watch this because I believe it's about a young woman with a perfect spiral in her ascension into the Quarterback high Quarterback princess, the Tom Brady story. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. had to. So, yeah. so you think that it will persist? But I mean, does are, are you part of that? I've always said woefully misguided camp that thinks soccer is actually going to take over America. That even though it. Everyone's been saying that for 30 years. Yeah, what's the Men in Blazers line? Spore the future since 1972. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, it's, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm going to make no predictions about soccer's climb. I do feel that the way that the world has changed and like especially people's accessibility to European soccer and so on, the information people have at their fingertips, the amount of soccer they're able to watch. There's so many more informed soccer fans in the United States. You watch ESPN, they have Manchester United scores. That didn't happen as little as five, six, seven years ago. Uh, so I think that is changing. But, you know, tackle football still has a sizable grip on the United States. And for all the sort of, you know, head scratching that happens up here in, uh, you know, wonky New York, uh, it is, you know, still very much part of the fabric of a huge chunk of the country. I don't see it going away. But I do. I do. Because I, do, I hear so often from coaches that this is the number one thing that they hear about 
parental concerns, anxieties about head injuries, about the long-term implication that the game will the game will actually change. Like they're they're already working on that. You, your daughter may have picked up on this. There's a lot of complaining that you can't really manhandle the quarterback like you once were it's able to. Not like to. the good old days. Not like the good old rock'em sock'em days. Right. Um, the game itself will change, but also you know the player pool will shrink. So Jason. We've we've been we've been nice up until now. We've we've had our little <laughs> yeah, chit chat. Bring it! I want to hear. We talked about all kinds of sports that don't yeah. really matter. Let's come on. Let's let's get real here and talk about the one sport that does matter. Which of course is baseball. Yeah. Uh, now I love your work, man. I I read you you know religiously. There's one column a few weeks ago that I have to say upset me yeah. a great deal yeah. about potential changes to the wonderful game of baseball. Uh, what are evil people trying to do to this beloved American pastime? Well, baseball is kind of the stepchild of the American sports mainstream, is it not? I mean, it's the one sport that everyone <laughs> seems very happy to kick and say is irrelevant and aging and not interesting to kids and too long. My and... Lord, who are these people? Uh, <laughs> so I am in the camp that baseball probably needs some kind of modification. <sighs> Past the smelling salts. I did read a paper, and these are some very esteemed academics at New York University, just down the street from here, a professor named Stephen Brahms, who is an acclaimed game theorist. Uh, He's actually one of my favorite game theorists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, if you're going to go game theorist, go Brahms. Stephen I always Brahms, say. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, had this idea, and this is a guy who studies, um, you know, not just... Um, sports but voting theory like what's the fairest way for democracies especially fledgling democracies to vote and you know parliamentary systems and you know fairness and all these really important civic manners but he's also a baseball guy and he came up with this theory called the ketchup rule and the ketchup not the condiment but the ketchup rule like as in catching up stipulates that a team that goes ahead in a baseball game so it's zero zero you hit a home run in the bottom half of your inning you're up one to nothing instead of having three outs you got two as long as you have that lead you have two outs now this statistically <laughs> was sampled over the course of a hundred thousand games right Brahms and his assistant went through a hundred thousand baseball games from I believe the late 1950s through now and concluded that it did two things. It made the games a lot more competitive, many more games decided by, you know, two runs or less. The other thing is it shortened it by a half of an hour. So it did two things that, you know, every sport in 2018 should be excited about. It made it more competitive and it made it shorter. And so I said, well, why don't we just, <laughs> you know, throw this out into the greater baseball atmosphere and see what happens? And, and you received death threats, I assume, from people like me. Or like, ha! It's like, next people, thing you'll be bringing in a designated hitter. You know, what's, it, it's also, not only was there a tremendous outrage from the get-go, but I feel like um, almost like a satellite, it is still reaching stars in the baseball system <laughs> and I still am getting hate mail like months later about it. Um, baseball fans were greatly sensitive about this. And my question to you is I have written other things like saying baseball should have seven inning games on weeknights, which I think is a very reasonable proposal. I've suggested that in blowouts, instead of teams turning to position players and possibly blowing out the arm of their right fielder, why not pull fans from the, uh, <laughs> from the stadium and just let them pitch? I mean, Come the game's on already down, decided. You're looking, for, yeah, wouldn't you want to participate in something like that? I would do better than I, most of the Mets. Those are, you know? those are 
are frankly radical ideas. What was it about this I'll tell that you. sent people over the line? I, I have a theory too, but what's your theory, Leo? My theory is that those other things seem to actually kind of emanate from a certain kind of, uh, you know, mock exasperation that derives from passion for the game. And this is like, this is this here is the elite, the statistician in the academy. Uh, interfering with our beloved game. I have a version of that. I think it just, it strikes people who like competition, which is everyone who follows sports and all of us sometimes, right? It strikes people as sort of un communistic and unfair because we have a constitutional right to pile on, to get to beat up on. I mean, the idea that just by virtue of winning a little bit, it's, it's like a progressive income tax, right? Nail on the right? head. You start exactly. piling. So you get one run up and you lose your right to go five runs up? That's like, right. Come on. How dare you? And, and this is exactly what people talk, talk about progressive tax. It's like, I I have accomplished great things in my life. You mean I get penalized more for doing that thing yep. and accumulating money? That's absurd. But, but I have to say that the the obsession with making things you know shorter, quicker. It's like don't blame uh, like your attention span uh, has suffered greatly because of your stupid screen addiction. Don't take it out on baseball. Yeah, baseball <laughs> is a beautiful thing. It's an escape from all that other shit that I don't want to think about. I want to. I want to. 14 innings long. Like, I want another three hours to every game. And I'm a Mets fan, so that's just pure pain. What bores you? What's your nightmare assignment? Like, when you get said to, oh, like, I when you're in question. early round French Open or third day Tour de France, like, what's the thing? Or like, oh, Jesus, I really have to, I can't check my phone. I actually have to, well, something might actually happen. Like, game two of a seven game series. Like, that's just <laughs> like, oh, man. Or like, yeah, like the, the opening round of a golf tournament or something where, you know, it doesn't have the kind of, um, you know, consequences that, you know, obviously a game seven or some sort of championship has. I mean, uh, it's the most popular sporting event in the United States, but something that's great about the Super Bowl is that at the end of it, you have a champion. You don't have a continuation of it. You have a result. And uh, so that is sort of the optimal sporting event. You know, everyone's sort of paying attention and there's a result and a declaration at the end of it. But, you know, these sort of long lead, right. drawn out things. I mean, you know, baseball, not to bring it back to baseball, but not long ago, baseball 162 game season went to a 163rd game for four of the National League qualifying teams to determine their placing in the playoff format. Don't you think if you have a 162 game season and you are not able to determine the order of the playoff, <laughs> you have somewhat of a structural failing? See, to me, doing 162 just... of anything, you should pretty much have a clear idea. That's, That's just suggests that there ought to be 360 <laughs> of that. So, so here's the thing, you know, to this relax. Is like, Every night, uh, I watch baseball. That's does what it I work? Do. Now, for you, <laughs> like 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 melatonin, is right. that what that's, it does? You know, it. it puts oh, that's me, why you're so chill. It puts me in a calm state of mind. What do you do? Because it's clearly not watching sports, which is work, <laughs> right? I mean, no, I can still can watch, watch sports for pleasure for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to ever get sort of disassociated from the idea that this is like a goof and entertainment for people. And I think, quite frankly, sports writers a lot of times over professionalize the experience. They're sort of going into the locker room every time. They're sort of like in this sort of funnel where they're removed from paying customers who oftentimes are most times are paying way too much to go to sporting events. I think number one pet peeve I have about professional and high yeah. level college sports in America is just how grossly overpriced it is. Yeah. 
but I do sort of, you know, want to always sort of have at least one foot in that world of what it's like to be an experiential sports fan, um, because that's what keeps us all in business. You know, that's what the whole essence of sports writing is, is reaching out and connecting with those people. So um, I get it. I mean, you know, will I sit and watch every Thursday night football game? Am I watching every round of, um, you know, the uh, Cincinnati uh, Western and Southern Open in tennis? Probably not. But uh, I, I watch a good deal of it. It's yeah, it is calming to me. I don't watch like serial television. I've never watched Game of Thrones. I don't know Same. if anyone's. Yeah, is that same? Okay. I started watching it, and then I actually came over to the Liel point of view that it's it's bad for the soul. So, so I watched Game a few of seasons. Is? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's it's too nihilistic. Um, so Jason Gay, author of Little Victories, which deals a lot with parenthood, father. How old are your kids now? I have a five-year-old son named Jesse and a three-year-old daughter named JoJo. What kind of sports lives do you hope for them? Do you are you a sports dad? Do you want them to be awesome players? Do you want them to be big fans? Do you just not care? Uh... I'm somewhere between not caring and caring too much. I, I think that uh, I want them to be active. I, you raise your five children. Are you in the city? Or no, we live a... in New Haven. We're mid-sized city. Okay, with, we have backyards. But you have and a backyard stuff. and yeah, a, a backyard. tree to look at and stuff. The backyard's like that. the crucial thing, yeah. and, and, and it's an essential thing. And especially, you know, my children are rather rambunctious, and so just any sort of physical exertion is incredibly useful because they just have to, you know, lower the gas tank a little bit over the course of the day. So sports is extremely useful in that way. Um, they've not done like anything hardcore. They played a little bit of soccer. They played a little bit of t-ball. Mm -hmm. uh, we had some t-ball action the last couple of springs. Um, but, you know, right now they're kind of running around chasing butterflies and I'm, I'm okay with that. I do think that, um, you know, the idea of doing something athletic and trying to get a little better at it would be exciting. They're also very blessed. Their mother is extremely athletic. So if they have any prowess, it's going to come from her. I'm interested to see how that happens because I think, you know, you can attest that you know, one of the great joys of parenthood is to sort of see where it all comes from. And so my wife, for example, is very gymnastic. She was in a circus. Um, you know, so if my kids are doing handstands at an early age, I'm going to, I'm going to force them to do handstands. I think mm -hmm. I will force them to do that. So yeah, if they're walking on their hands by the age 10, I'll be very proud. <laughs> it's, it shows good core strength and balance and all that. Or... It's a key part of the CrossFit experience. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> they maybe could get, they're like a circus alums. They could, they could probably get in. They're easy. legacy circus yeah. kids. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. You work with. Mr. Stephanie Butnick, Benjamin Z. Cohen. I do, yeah, Mr. Uh, Steph, yeah. What's he like as a colleague? Um, ben is, full stop, one of the most talented, uh, you know, creative, original reporters I've ever met. Did I get it right, Stephanie? <laughs> yeah. I'll give <laughs> no, you your $20 I, later. I'll Ben you. No, I, with all my heart, I believe all that. He's incredibly talented. Um, and, 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 and not just talented, productive. And just, you know, he's the franchise, as we say. You know, like he's the guy who you can build a whole operation around. Um, I, I get great joy out of Ben sometimes because he takes things very seriously. Like he'll read something dumb and it will like irritate him to his core. For like a long like time. Like for a while. Like, you know, like I, I'm not going to point out anything, but it was probably something I wrote. But, you know, he'll just get very, very agitated about that. And it reminds me of myself. Like I was once that young man, nowhere near as talented as Ben is, but I was once the person who 
would just feel like, you know, the world was just full of morons. And, and now I just realize it's just me. Do you feel like kids chilled you out a bit? Yeah. Like, I how much are you going to worry about those morons when you have uh, a parent-teacher conference to go to and a tooth fell out? I and parent-teacher you know. tonight, actually. Um, <laughs> Jason Gay, uh, what's the next book? Your last book was The Extraordinary... Can we talk about Ben Cohen just a tiny bit more? Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, He's never been on the show. Yeah. Why is that? Is it just too awkward? None of our no, spouses have been on the show. No, he's going to come on, but he is, he's like, you know. We we should do a show that's each of our spouses in turn being interviewed by the other two. Like Lisa gets interviewed by the two of us. I ben don't think Lisa would like that. that. Lisa is, wouldn't do it. That, that, that's great. That would that's be a great, great. show. Um, I Do I get to ask my question? Oh, yeah. You you came uh, with the Gentile of the Week question? I is brought this a, my Gentile of the Week question. How could we refuse a Gentile of the question? Now, I feel like this is almost like it's probably been asked before. And like every sort of Gentile question, it has some origins in Seinfeld. But I l- want to know, like as a writer, I'm writing all the time in these columnists, columns. What is the fair use of a term like Michigas. Like, can I say, you know, like, look at the Mets, for example. Lots of Michigas with the Mets at all times. Like, using Michigas in a sentence, I've not done this, but it's a great word. You know, how would I not want to use it? What are the, what, what is appropriate and what's not? Before we answer that, I just want to say that's a fabulous question, and ha- and we've never been asked that one before, I don't Correct. think. Correct. And, and, and not just from the writerly point of view, we actually, I don't know that we've gotten a question from some Gentile saying, can I call someone a schmuck? But it's actually a very <laughs> profound question. I think there's a way in which Yiddish is, it's up for grabs at this point. Like, you using Michigas actually, I think, validates it. It's its place in like the larger American culture in a way. Like I think like also kosher is a really good mm-hmm. um, yes, was right. that an adjective. Like mm-hmm. being like, oh, it's not kosher. Like that to me is a very evocative word. And there's a way that Yiddish is. And like, look, you're like a writer in New York. Like you basically you you you've earned it. You <laughs> and know? your last name is ethnically ambiguous. It could have been Goldfarb. Like you you yeah. No one and you're into sports. You're Jewish. Leo, what what do you think? I think you know language by by design is supposed to be you know viral and and you know go everywhere people require it absolutely why not so I, I'm not co opting it you know you're like, not you're not culturally you're not, appropriating it you have a hechsher as we say in this room the only thing I'll add is if you're saying it aloud just pronounce it right I think as long as it's not one column with like Michigas schmuck like all that stuff in it, that's offensive. Yeah, don't put yourself in <laughs> Jewish drag, but we don't do that either because like if we ran a piece of tablet that like had chutzpah, mishagas, right. mitten drenet. <laughs> See, and in, in a weird oh. way, I am much more offended by like a tendency some, uh, you know, Jews have to end sentence by like, this happened, Oi. Oi. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing kind of makes my blood curdle more than that. So like a writer using, you know, Michigas and the correct, you know, term is actually delightful. Here's what you don't do though. Don't say, as my friend Ben Cohen would say, <laughs> that was some real Michigas. <laughs> I would like for you to end a column with oi, just as its yeah. own sentence, as a request. You should start sneaking these words in and just like wait they're for Liel, like Easter eggs. Okay. Um, if people want to spend more time with you, they can buy your book, Little Victories. Sure. Are you working on another book, Jason Gay? I am, yes. You, you give us a little, little sneak preview? Uh, it has to do with the, the the body. That's all I can say right now. Does it have to do with wellness and, and yoga? It and- has to do with the body. Just, just <laughs> can, we, can we follow you on Twitter? You can follow me on the Twitter bot at Jason Gay, but that's a Russian bot. I just, I don't do anything. You just pay the, yeah. And yeah. we can find you fee. in the Wall Street Journal. Where do we get a tablet lacrosse shirt, by the I way? I will send you a tablet lacrosse shirt. It's phenomenal. Isn't it Thank so you good? very much. Yeah. Jason Gay. wearing one right now. 
Jason Gay, sports columnist for the Wall Street Journal, author of Little Victories, father of two, husband of one. Friend of Ben Cohen. Friend of Ben Cohen. Thank you for being our gentleman. Sorry, co-worker you've, of Ben you've, Cohen. You've done it all. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, not friend. Yeah, just co-worker. <laughs> In, intra-office nemesis of Ben Thanks, Cohen. Thanks, Jason. crew it is time for some pod biz tonight may 16th i'll be moderating a zoom conversation with rabbi sharon browse and shy held about each of their new books that's at 6 p.m eastern and the final event in my unpacking the book series with the jewish book council and the jewish museum this one's on zoom so no matter where you are i hope you can make it and tonight is actually a double header for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash uomember and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Tell me, tell me in the day or the night, would it kill you to call or write? Let's go to the mailbox, ladies and gents, all right? Uh, Dear Unorthodox, I could be mistaken. Oh, this is a letter about the chicken farm versus chicken ranch controversy coming out of our Petaluma story. Oh, it continues. (laughs) I could be, dear Unorthodox, I could be mistaken. (laughs) But I believe that the distinction is not whether a chicken grower properly refers to their site as a farm or a ranch. I've heard that vegetable, chicken, beef, whatever production sites are all referred to as ranches in California. This is a holdover from its Spanish origins where everything was a rancho. I am an organic vegetable grower and being located in Ohio, my site is a farm, but would probably be called a ranch if I were to live and work in California. Best, Evan Axelbaum. I want to go to Axelbaum Farms. Uh, Absolutely. Maybe when we're in Cleveland for our live show, can we take a trip? Totally. Dear Unorthodox, I'm a lone soldier and Ole Hadash. New arrival, right? Uh, From Dallas, Texas, currently living in a kibbutz in the south and serving north of Jerusalem. I spend most of my days either sitting in silence in front of computer screens on base or sitting in silence on buses to and from my home near the Gaza border. Whenever I get the chance, I put in my headphones and turn on unorthodox. Your conversations make me feel closer to the warm, opinionated, funny, and loud American Jewish community that I left behind. Thank you for making me a less lonely lone soldier. Be'ahava, Matan Rudner. Now, Matan, 
This my, warm, my man. My man. This warms our hearts. We are so happy to be there for you. And this, of course, is the second week in a row that we've talked about lone soldiers, which are Americans who go to serve but don't have any family. Or it wouldn't just be Americans, right? It would be Jews from the diaspora who go to serve in the Israeli army, but they don't have family. And sure, they get some Shabbat dinners and some invitations, but, you know, it's, it's, it's lonely over there. I was intrigued, though, right, that you said that we make you feel closer to the warm, opinionated, funny, and loud Jewish community you came from, because that's always the selling point of Israel is they say, like, come over here where everyone's warm, loud, funny, and opinionated. Right, but I'll see two things about that. First of all, you know, gotta love a lot of things about the homeland here, but not always the most welcoming place for Americans who uh -huh. arrive. Sort of like, uh, but uh, why do you talk with the accent? And what's wrong with you? Why you come here? You used to be from Connecticut. It's very right. nice. Why? Are you I have to say though, when I was in Israel, everyone's like, "Are you going to move here? Or you should move here. Are you going to move here?" Like in every store I went into, people love Americans right. there. And then once you move here, it's like, "Why do you move here? What's wrong with you?" I was We're like, "Because you told about me to." I have been trying to get to Scottsdale. What is this? Why you come here? <laughs> And second of all, he's a soldier. He has, yeah. he has a job to do. He can't just, you know, dilly-dally around Matan, talking to people. I'm so glad you're listening to us. Yeah, Matan, we should do something for the lone soldiers. And by the way, I say that as an apolitical thing. Like, I don't want to be in any army. And that said, I'm still really intrigued uh, and, and by and curious about people who voluntarily, especially voluntarily, join armies. And I think that it would be really interesting to talk to a bunch of lone soldiers. So, be, I don't know, get a, get a crew together and uh, and call us. We'll do God some sort bless of, you, Matan. We'll do some sort of hookup, Matan. If any of the rest of you want to write to us, uh, write to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. And you could also call and leave us a voicemail message, 914-570-4869. We have this superstition show coming up, so definitely call and tell us about your family's crazy superstitions. Mazel tovs. Stephanie, have you a mazel tov? Yes, I do. So one of my favorite things about this show is sort of like reconnecting with people who, who I knew throughout my life who mm -hmm. listened to the podcast mm -hmm. unexpectedly. One of them is my little, little in Kappa Kappa Gamma, Danny Potter. She's out in LA. She is not Jewish, but dating a Jewish guy and has gotten into the podcast as sort of her intro, intro to the people. And it's been hilarious. And she'll like text me after episodes. And I, I love it because I love talking So she to was your little Sib's little Sib. She's your grand Sib, basically. She's, she's my, yeah, my little, little. So yeah, so anyway, Danny went to Israel recently. I saw her Instagramming from Israel. And I was like, yes, queen. And she was like, what's your address? I have something to send you. And she sent me a mezuzah. And uh, she was just like, maybe being in the Holy Land, you'd like be more inspired to put it up. So now I have like a growing collection of mezuzot. Right. And I love it. And I love Danny Potter. And she's awesome. You might end up one of those people who not only has one on the door to your apartment, but on every doorway well, inside. Well, I've decided that I want my Apolog one on the inside of my, like on my door, on, my, on the, the archway to my bedroom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Liel, Mazel Tov's. Mazel Tov this week goes out as it must uh, to the newly resigned Ambassador to the United Nations, the great Nikki Haley. Did she resign this week? Just now. Like what? seconds ago? Just seconds ago. Why? Seconds ago. Why? Prepping her presidential run? Because we're finally a podcast that like news breaks are the during. ways of the Lord. Amazing. My Mazel Tov is to Rabbi Emma Gottlieb, who is heading to Cape Town in South Africa to join the rabbinic team at Temple Israel. She will be the first ever full-time female rabbi in Cape Town. And, you know, I think, I think Emma Gottlieb must know this. Uh, and you guys know this. We are big in South Africa, like Australia and South Africa. There's something about those countries. Whenever I meet someone from one of those countries who's Jewish, they've heard Just of the podcast us. and people will say, oh, like we, how many times have we gotten that note that says, oh, I was at this like Kiddush or I was at this Simcha or whatever in Cape Town or Johannesburg or whatever. They were talking about the podcast. It's like, we're very big down there. We would love to get down and there. You know what? We yes. love you too. Yeah. We love you. We love you back. We love you back. Next week on the podcast, Judge Ruchi Fryer, the first ever female ultra-Orthodox civil judge in the whole United States. If you want to be prepared 
and have some free time, watch 93 Queen. It was a PBS documentary about her and her efforts to bring an all-female EMT corps to serve the ultra-Orthodox women of Brooklyn. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. You can ask for our newsletter. And you know, you should really get the newsletter because it's funny and interesting and Liel writes it. Get it by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and putting newsletter in the subject line. We often come to you live to book us or to advertise with us. Email producer Josh Cross at jcross, that's cross with a K, at tabletmag.com. jcross at tabletmag.com. You need to wear and carry unorthodox? Hit up bit.ly slash unortho shirt and get those shirts, mugs, and stickers that look good on you and surround your coffee and keep it warm. Follow us on Instagram at Unorthodox Podcast and on Twitter at Unorthodox underscore pod. Stephanie is on the Instagram at S. Butnick. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Josh Cross, Shira Talushkin, and Noah Levinson. Our editor is Sophia Steinert-Evoy. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our social media intern is Elazar Abrams. Our theme music is by Golem, online at golemrocks.com. Our new-ish mailbox theme that you may have noticed is new-ish is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision this week by Emma Gottlieb. We are normally at Argo Studios, but today we come to you from the daughter's bunk bedroom at Crosstown Studios up in Harlem. And we're proud to once have been part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. <laughs> <laughs>